Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, we're here with Packers owner Justice Mosqueda, the least valuable guest on the podcast, here to talk about how his unvaccinated quarterback is morally inferior to our unvaccinated quarterback. Uh, what's going on, Justice? I, I'd like to not talk about that, frankly. I'm getting <laughs> yeah. tired of my Tuesdays getting taken up by Aaron Rodgers talking to Pat McAfee about stuff that well, okay, so, is so, very quickly uh, debunked. So McAfee is doing an amazing job, right? Because he's, he's requiring us to watch this every Tuesday. Yes. That's, yes. that's high tier podcasting. That's incredible stuff. Uh, that's I why know he that, got like $30 million from like FanDuel or whatever. Right. right yeah, yeah. I know people are like, Hey, why doesn't he push back? And, uh, and he's like, well, that's not really what the show is about. And yeah, that's like a little morally bankrupt or whatever. But aside from that, I mean, he's just doing an incredible job. He also does mention a lot. Like he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I got the shots and stuff." And then he's just like, "Yeah, Aaron, do whatever well, you want." It, it just, is funny. It's like, not the same as pushing back against the like misinformation about India. Yeah, that's always bad. The India <laughs> stuff is the step too far for me and Rogers. Yeah, like you can yeah. be an idiot about your body, but when you're lying about like other foreign governments, that's when it's like, buddy, you can Google this. <laughs> Why the the issue is that he definitely found this out online. That's the <laughs> yeah yes. Uh, All right, I, cool. I, I'm tired of it. If we uh, we could talk about football, that'd be great. Also, yeah, this is getting okay. cross posted to uh, APC. By the way, I don't cool, know if cool, you know cool. that yet, but uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, so Packers with a win get a 93 percent chance to secure the first round bye. The Vikings with a win get a 50 50 chance of making the playoffs. So very uh, equal stakes at this game here. Um, Vikings beat the pants off the Packers uh, earlier this year. Feels like it won't be the same. Uh, there should be a number of players coming back. Also, I mean, the Vikings have split the series with the Packers um, a ton, so I don't think that really matters all that much. Uh, but they're playing uh, in Lambeau, which uh, I suddenly will not be able to go to. Uh, tell me, Justice, is Lambeau overrated or underrated? I still haven't been. I tr- I try to get there like three times this year. And no, that's right. Yeah, as an owner, you needed to get over to the owner exclusive gift shop. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I also learned there's an owner exclusive gift shop online where you can get things like frames you, for your. Oh, you uh, don't even have to. You don't even have to go. Okay. Wow. Wow. They're exactly. really stepping things up for you, the owner. The, the, look, the Packers are the team of the internet and the world. <laughs> many are saying, but yeah. Um, Lambeau Field should impact the game. You said beat the pants off of the Packers. That game was down to the wire, and Kirk no, Cousins yeah, tried was, to throw Savage four interceptions. So down. It was, uh, wasn't close at all. I, I did um, enjoy uh, the Packers fans telling Vikings fans for like two whole weeks, like, congrats on winning your Super Bowl. It's like, settle down. <laughs> it's a good, we, it's a good bit, been, though. We've been making it a bit on the on the podcast. We've talked about how the, now there's a... a traveling Super Bowl trophy that appeared out of thin air <laughs> as a result of it. Uh, for, Who, who's of course, a hold of it now? 
the Rams. Uh, and the Vikings the had a chance to win it back against the Rams, but of course they lost. So the Rams still hold on to it. The real question here is if the Vikings win, does another Super Bowl trophy emerge for them? Because obviously oh. it doesn't for the Packers, right? If the Packers win, there's no Super Bowl. It's not their Super Bowl. That's the joke. So if the Vikings, I, I win, guess it's another... like a boxing thing, right? Where it's like multiple title belts, but like they're going to merge right. themselves in the NFC Championship game at the very least, right? Uh, one would hope, right? <laughs> that the, the title belts meet. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just like it feels like these games are always like too weird to to really predict. Do you think, like, obviously, from a better's perspective, obviously, there's something to divisional games having a different. Um, relationship than um, non-conference and non-divisional games. Do you think that that's particularly true with Green Bay, Minnesota, or do you think that that's just normal divisional stuff? Um, I think because Zimmer throws so much on the table as a defensive, like as a defensive play caller, I think there's probably a little bit more to that. You know, when you're seeing common opponents, and I mean, really, Aaron Rodgers is the only guy in the division who's kind of putting stress on Zimmer in this way. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure he's having to change things at a different level than most defensive coordinators do when they face quarterbacks in the division, especially in this singular matchup. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. I, I imagine that Zimmer spends a lot of time in the offseason focused just on Rodgers. Well, let's talk about the individual players first. Aaron Rodgers, how has uh, he played since the Vikings game? Uh, I don't know if you saw, but he just won uh, December's NFC Offensive Player of the Month. So... Many people are saying that that's good, Arif. Hey, you, um, you you know exactly how much I've been paying attention to the news this week. So I I did, I did not actually see that. No, I've no. Yeah, I, I might have broken the news to Arif before this that okay, well, this part's fake. This news. game justice is <laughs> for this part right here. Um, okay, so NFC Offensive Player of the Month deserved, undeserved, probably deserved. Um, he's done very well. Uh, he basically is like I'm not throwing it, interceptions I, anymore. Has so. he? Well, that's we know that that's not important as Vikings. Uh, oh yeah, interceptions yeah. don't matter. Yeah, turnovers are overrated. Many people are saying. No, I, I don't buy. No, I'm not buying into that. Intercept, <laughs> interceptions, avoiding interceptions is important. I don't care. Cousins entered uh, last week throwing, having thrown like two interceptions all year. Did not matter. <laughs> but, well, it's a it's a, a factor. It's a okay. fact. It's not the factor. I'm not saying okay, Teddy so, Bridgewater so has, has Rodgers practiced at all since coming back from COVID protocol. A few times, yeah. It's usually like the last day of the week. Um, he hasn't practiced this week. He might practice tomorrow, which would be Friday, which is like kind of the walkthrough. Um, Rogers said after the game last week that his toe had been feeling better um, than any previous week before. The, it, the COVID toe rashes is the, up. there's no COVID toe. It is a <laughs> fractured pinky toe. Um, it did get banged twice uh, in that Browns game. Yeah, it was stepped on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time by right guard Royce Newman, who has been an issue. And the, the best way to explain how much of an issue Royce has been is that he is your right guard and he stepped on your quarterback's left pinky toe. Um, <laughs> I want you to think about the math okay. and the angles there. <laughs> this is a pretty good one. Yeah. And then the other time was by a defensive player. Uh, it was uh, Miles Garrett banged it a little bit, and then they hit like commercial break, and they were like high fiving each other. And I, I drew a green face mask on Miles Garrett. Free the man. Okay, well, so Miles Garrett coming to Green Bay, Rogers leaving Green Bay. Um, no, that fe- that feels like a downgrade. I mean, I love Ro- Rogers talked about uh, 
Again, I know you're not tuned into the NFL right now. You're busy with other things in life. But Aaron Rodgers yesterday was talking about retirement, and he basically said, I'm not thinking about other teams. I don't know if I'm coming back or not, but I'm not thinking about other teams. Gouda Kunst is doing everything well, I mean, that I so want. Famously honest person Aaron Rodgers tells us that he's not thinking about <laughs> other teams. Look, that's fair. Um, <laughs> that's fair. I'm just saying the, vi- the vibes are good for him coming back next season with the Green Bay what is, Packers. Uh, what does Jordan Love do? Does Jordan Love demand a trade? Uh, does Jordan Love have autonomy? I don't think so. I don't. <laughs> I think okay. we're beyond the point okay. of if, like if Jordan what Love happens walks to into Gutekunst's office and he's like, "Hey, man, you better trade me, or I'm just not showing up to camp." Gutekunst is like, "Yeah, fine, whatever, dude." Gutekunst is like, "I'll talk to your agent, who's also Aaron Rodgers' agent," and. We'll see what he says about why, that. Okay, why why do quarterbacks do this? So a lot of teams do this, actually. When I was uh, working with the XFL, we did a big old study about who represents who as quarterbacks because we were trying to figure out who we could poach off of like practice squads and stuff like that. Right. Um, teams are more, they are stacking these quarterbacks more than ever before. And I think it's a thing that agencies are honestly driving um, from what I have gathered, that is basically like insurance policies on the starting quarterback where, you know, hey, maybe you oh, want to move so on it, from the starting quarterback, team, but I will still make makes, that money. Okay, yeah. it makes sense for the team. It makes sense for the agency. Does not make sense for the backup quarterback. No. I mean, we saw how bad it went in well, New with England Jimmy. with Garoppolo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that's, man, the agent must be treating Jordan Love real well for him not to be shopping. That's crazy to me. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's it's wild to me. I I still like I get it, but I don't get it at the same time. It just seems like you're playing with fire a little bit. Did uh did the guy who was ahead of Love on the depth chart last year, Boyle, did he play this week? Uh, he played last weekend, right? Because Goff was on the uh, COVID reserve list. Did you see that game? Were you able to look at a former Packer great? See how he did? I I watched it a little bit on Red Zone, um, because it was it was like pushing uh cover territory but yeah tim tim boyle light show or tim boyle laser show was uh not preseason levels i guess we should say so he didn't cover is what you're saying i can't remember honestly i forget so, <laughs> sunday was so long ago arif i've been so busy you know not tuned into the nfl like you All right fair enough fair enough uh running backs uh aj dylan's still better than aaron jones yeah yeah, that's I, that's still fair. I, I stand by that. Um, Aaron Jones is still kind of banged well, up every has, week with the knee injury. Has he played but... better than Jones over the past month? As a runner, yeah. As, I think no, so. as a running back, not as a runner. As a running back, yes, as a running back. Okay. Yes, Aaron. Aaron if you, if you watch the uh, AJ Dillon carries against Cleveland, like every single yard is through contact. Every single one of them. He's a good running back. I, if if they didn't have AJ Dillon, they would be a very, very, very different team. So why did they resign Aaron Jones? AJ Dillon didn't have his breakout until recently, and they also kind of do different things. Like Aaron Jones is the guy that you want on the edge. AJ Dillon is kind of like the power back. He's, is is the know, amount of things the that they do differently worth a running back contract? Oh, probably not. Frankly, but. He's here now, and it's not like he's in year one of a veteran deal. So, like, Aaron Jones isn't going anywhere for a couple of years. So, the, you can't put the milk back in the carton, you know? I I get. I mean, that's a version of that saying. That's fine. Uh, no tight ends left on the run. Well, Josiah DeGuara, right? But the other two tight ends uh, have the Aaron Rodgers disease. 
Uh, no, <laughs> Tanyan, Tanyan is on injured reserve. Right. Uh, Lewis and Davis are both on the uh, COVID reserve. Um, there's still a chance that they could return. Deguara is uh, healthy, but Daphne has a banged up ankle and actually got passed on the depth chart in terms of like the snaps this last week by Tyler Davis, who hadn't been really getting offensive snaps consistently um, up until last week. So there is a chance that Bronson Kafausi, um, do you remember him, the defensive end from BYU? Yeah, yeah he is converted to, to tight end. Really? Yes, he is converted to tight end, and he is like a blocking tight end, and they've kept him on the practice squad. And Rodgers in the preseason. Well, don't I don't know if you remember that, this moment sense, yeah. where uh, Rob Domovsky, you know, he, he asked Rodgers about, uh, you know, Kafusi, and he was like, well, it's going to be nice to see him in Buffalo after Rodgers said some nice things about him. And Rodgers said, Jesus, Bob. And that kind of like <laughs> went viral and they made t-shirts out of it and stuff like that. That, that was that moment. So oh, okay. Okay. is okay. one of Rogers yeah. guys and he might end up getting called up for the first time this season as a tight end, just because they only have like two and like, maybe it's one and a half depending on how Daphne's ankles holding up. So he's this year's Kumaro. He is. He is. He's not related to a Bosa though. <laughs> okay. So what does the Packers uh, running game look like? when when they're this kind of hard up for tight ends does it change at all so Daphne is a very good run blocker um you can use him in line they use him a ton uh at you know near the goal line and stuff like that he's kind of weird because he's kind of like that Mercedes Lewis type of like run blocker but he's in a smaller body he's kind of like mini uh Mercedes Lewis he's like Mercedes Lewis if you drop the anvil on his head um Deguara <laughs> is more of like a move tight end <laughs> That they use on like counter and, uh, you know, slice and stuff like that. He's more of an off ball type of guy that they also use on like third downs, you know, split out uh, when when they need a pass. So they definitely have a mix. Um, I would be shocked if they didn't go into the game with the third tight end, the way that they rotate these guys and the way that Daphne's angle situation is. So we're recording this on a Thursday. You know, they could bring up guys up until game time, apparently now with the new rules. So look for someone to move up. And if no one moves up, just assume Kafusi is going to get moved up on Saturday. All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, that, I think, brings us to the that offensive line discussion. So you are super not happy with Royce Newman. I think the last time we talked, you mentioned that maybe one of the best examples of um, or one of the best approaches to, to attacking Aaron Rodgers and the protection is to run games. On Newman, which uh, for listeners, you know, means like defensive line stunts and things like that, switching gaps and so on. Um, lost kind of in terms of uh, in, in terms of his assignment, uh, runs into people. You mentioned the toe thing. Uh, <laughs> is are there other issues along the offensive line, given like kind of how banged up it is? As Yaswan Nyman kind of lived up to to what they need him to be? Has John Runyon been playing well at left guard? What's going on? Yeah, uh, all those guys are pre- playing pretty solid, I think, other than Newman. And even Newman's issues are really just handling stunts. Like the fact that they have Nyman and Dennis Kelly in at tackle and they're able to survive with it, I think, is a, a good sign. The fact that Braden is now on the reserve COVID list is a little bit worrying because they have to then drop down to Cole Van Lennon, who like the offensive line coach was talking about this week and was like, oh, yeah, he's definitely not a left tackle. And it's like if, if Nyman gets hurt, like <laughs> – He's going to have to play left tackle or you're going to have to kick John Runyon, who's playing guard all season, out to left tackle. So um, they're very thin now, but the guys that they have in, they can rock with them. Um, The big issue is just 
Newman once a game, twice a game, like he's just going to like turn a guy loose on a stunt. They had it against Cleveland last week. Uh, Rogers really only took like one big shot, I would say. And it was off of, you know, Newman just turning a guy loose and him getting the clean clock on Rogers. So you're going to get one, maybe two, but uh, that's, that's pretty much what you're going to get out of this pass protection unit. What, uh, what does Rodgers do to kind of – I mean, because everyone knows like he holds on to the ball, he invites pressure in order to make a big play. It obviously works out for him a lot. Um, what does Rodgers do from a protection standpoint that kind of mitigates this? And also, do the Packers have like some of the best offensive line coaching? In the, like if we're down to Yaswa Nyman, who was not even originally on this team, playing well, like what, what's the deal? Because they lost camp a few seasons ago. So what's going on? Yeah, so – Campin left. Um, the guy now who replaced him is Steno. Um, Steno is also the the Packers offensive room is actually very interesting. They're very collaborative. Um, seems like everyone gets to like have their section of the field. Like the, Rogers was talking about how they break down everything this week, where like Stenovich is like handling the run game. You know, the running backs coach and tight ends coach handle like goal line stuff. Their quarterbacks coach handles like third down. Their wide receiver coach handles like two minute drill. Stenovich is actually the guy who like brings in like a lot of the tricky dicky stuff, like the the goal line stuff that uh you know you you rarely see outside of like Kansas City and stuff like that. Um, he brings in. So I, I think Stenovich is probably going to get a tap on the shoulder to become an offensive or an uh, offensive coordinator very soon. Um, just between his background as a guy who dries up, he draws up plays and he's a great offensive line coach. And there are very few things that are more valuable than those two traits. Um, so yeah, I mean, LaFleur has built like a very collaborative room, I think on the offensive side of the ball. Um, a great coach. I think they're very good at evaluating talent. Like the fact that they were able to Dennis Kelly started an entire season for the Tennessee Titans last year. And they just like signed the dude in like August or something. I think um, I, it might've been July, um, but he was just like out there. They're like, we should probably grab this guy because we might need him at some point. And, you know, they took a shot on him instead of, you know, bringing in another undrafted free agent rookie to kind of like develop potentially on like the practice squad. So shouts to the team for doing that. What I would say about Rogers is, They've kind of changed what this offense has been, um, especially with with MVS out. They haven't really been taking shot plays, and when they do take shot plays downfield, they're like design shot plays. So it's like going to be an incompletion. Um, it's not going to be a sack. Like they'll take a seven step drop from the gun, and it's just like borderline hail mary type of play. Um, and that's kind of like what their deep game is. Like it's not a lot of like Rogers taking a three step drop patting the ball, patting the ball, patting the ball, patting the ball, hoping someone is open downfield. Like when they're going deep, they're going deep. And when he needs to get the ball out of his hand, he gets the ball out of his hands right now. Given how few seven-step drops exist in NFL offenses these days, and given how kind of rarely defenses play that, uh, does it, do you think that that has its own benefit, like maybe throwing off timing for defensive bats and things like that? Absolutely. And pass rushers too, man. Like you got to think about how deep that quarterback is getting back there. There's not often that, you know, you end up running 10 yards into the backfield and like, that's the spot that you're actually trying to sack a guy. You know what I mean? So there's not very many quarterbacks who play like Aaron Rodgers. obviously. I mean, everyone talks about him like a, a gunslinger type of guy. If you don't have that guy in practice, I would assume it's very hard to replicate and get reps for. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know. This is kind of interesting that they're, I mean, cause you, you, 
you think about like, hey, you know, when they hired Matt Lafleur, I think a lot of people just like, well, they just hired a guy who had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, which I don't know, may or may not be true, but obviously he seems to be running a good operation. Um, this kind of stuff, when you think about like installing the Sean McVay Kyle Shanahan offense, this isn't like part of that. This isn't something that we traditionally think is a big part of that. How big an influence is Nathaniel Hackett, who I don't think was a very sought after offensive mind after Buffalo? Uh, what kind of influence does he have on that kind of play design? And like, what element of McVay Shanahan principles does LaFort even bring to the offense? So the under center stuff, I would say, is a lot of LaFleur's influence between, you know, McVay and his time with Shanahan in Washington and stuff like that. Um, Nathaniel Hackett did not just coach at Buffalo. He was a Marone guy who was there for uh, Syracuse and Syracuse, Jacksonville, yeah. too. Yeah. So he was in Jacksonville. He actually Mike just Nassif? got tapped on the shoulder. Jesus Christ, that quarterback thing was so funny. Yeah, Sorry. he got tapped on the shoulder for the Jacksonville head coaching uh, opening. Uh, again, I don't know how much you're following the NFL these days, but um, he's interviewing nope. for the head coaching job in Jacksonville. He talked about how he still has a couple of their hats uh, in the presser today. Um, I don't know how much. So Hackett, I think, is a lot more of like the spread passing stuff, I would say, is more of his influence. But the other guys who are interesting to me are like uh, Getzey. So Getzey's the quarterback's coach. He was he, he's basically a disciple of uh, Joe Moorhead. Um, so I think a lot of the RPO stuff is coming from Hackett and uh, Getzey, frankly. Oh, all right. That's fair. Uh, how okay? So we talked a little bit about RPOs in our last episode of the podcast, um, and it, it feels like the the mysticism of RPOs has been kind of stripped away, and then we finally get to kind of talk about kind of the bare bones of how an offense that features a lot of RPOs operates. Um, I forget who asked on Twitter. You know, is an RPO a run play or a pass play? And then you know, I think a lot of people just responded, "It's a run play." Most people chart it as runs. If, yeah. If you're from a charting perspective. You chart it as the run game because if you ha- if you have to have the same constraints, you you want it in your run packages for whatever mm-hmm. that's worth. Yeah, and in your coaching offensive line in that particular way, you don't you're not asking your nickel corner to do anything different, right? Like if it's if it's a run play, you're asking them to do the same thing as if it's an RPO. Yeah, I mean, a lot of teams are trying to keep that guy out of the fit to kind of like muddy the look for those teams. The yeah. big thing about Green Bay is their RPOs aren't really like downfield RPOs. Like uh, Miami's RPOs, for example, are very different than Green Bay's, where Green Bay's, like you're trying to run bubbles, right, basically. Like you're trying to run bubbles to Devonta Adams because he's so good with a ball in his hand and your wide receivers are so big and blocking on the perimeter is such an advantage for you guys. Um, compared to the defensive backs on the field. Whereas, you know, Miami, it's a lot of like, we're throwing a slant and the slant is open and Tua can only throw kind of like 10 yards away from him. So that's what have we're you, Have you seen like the crazy response that Tua non gives whenever you bring up Miami and RPOs? I can only imagine is I, I don't, my like, response. I don't know why they're so upset about this simple observation. Anyway, um, so, so the RPOs and the Packers offense – um, one thing that I, I kind of found interesting is that RPOs typically are as runs about as effective, if maybe a little bit less effective, uh, as standard running plays and against passes are about as effective or a little bit less effective than standard passing plays. But obviously if you're replacing bad runs with bad passes, you're improving the offense. Um, 
is that kind of is that element still there for Green Bay, or, or how are the RPO runs looking? How are the RPO passes looking when compared to standard dropbacks and standard runs? They're pretty solid, and I think a lot of it has to do with like unique traits that the team has, and I think it's pretty clear that like they're running RPOs for Devontae Adams too. You know, it's it's their way of kind of making you honor Devontae Adams in a lot of different ways. Um, the fact that Aaron Rodgers has such a fast trigger in terms of just his release um, is definitely a benefit to them. Like when they were when Jordan Love was in the game, they weren't doing a lot of the same things that they asked Aaron Rodgers to do. And I don't know if a lot of it sounds weird to say like Aaron Rodgers is has a unique trait that helps him on RPOs because you think, you know, there's so many other things that he could help you with in terms of like downfield accuracy or arm strength, stuff like that, that it kind of gets overlooked a little bit, but there certainly is something to say about this offense being like tailored for Aaron Rodgers specifically. How does that, uh, how does that come about? Like, how do you, uh, as like an offense, you bring in Nathaniel Hackett, you've got Matt LaFleur, um, you remember the slant flan offense with McCarthy, you bring in Aaron Rodgers. Is is Rodgers an enormous part of the collaborative process? Because it feels like every time that gets brought up, it gets not shot down, but kind of made fun of as a talking point that Rodgers is an important part of designing the offense. How does it, how does an offense come about that's designed for what Aaron Rodgers does well versus the stuff that's either a waste of his talents or stuff that he doesn't do well? Well, I think that first year was a really good example of it. I mean, there were so many times where Aaron Rodgers year one, I think, what was it, 2019? Even on those RPOs, he was dirting a couple of them where they were like, ah, yes, maybe, the spl- maybe the split was too far outside. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. It seemed like really 2019 was like almost like an evaluation year of like, what do we want this to look like moving forward? And then from 2020 on it's been like all right this is who we are this is what we're good at like let's just spam these plays basically is that more responsible for the Rodgers MVP season than drafting Jordan Love or the other way around I think so I mean I think Rodgers <laughs> it, dude Rodgers is so hyper motivated and holds so many grudges that I don't, I don't know how much this love thing really influences him like in terms of like preparation and like on-field results frankly I think that's more of like a, where do I want to be for the rest of my life? But it seems like he's able to turn that off where he's, you know, he's an impressor this week saying, oh yeah, I'm not even thinking about next year. It's like, you're not thinking about next year at all. I'm thinking about 2022 a whole lot right now. <laughs> all right, let's talk about this receiver group. So obviously you got Devonta Adams. Uh, MVS is, is back, back. Just right? returned, just yeah. returned today. And Randall Cobb might be back after he's, a he's practicing surgery? yeah he is practicing so that that was very surprising i don't think anyone expected that everyone who was there for you know the media open portion of practice was kind of surprised randall cobb was out there running routes um after so, a yeah, surgery I'm, like a month ago yes yeah it, week 13 i think is when he got placed on injured reserve and then he had core surgery so that fast turnaround easy that's crazy yeah. All right, so you went from a receiving core that was just Devonta Adams to one that has Devonta Adams, potentially Randall Cobb, MVS, and Alan Lazard. And uh, what I think Amari Rogers might still be on the COVID list, but he doesn't matter anymore anyway, so it doesn't, doesn't compute. Yeah, the the thing the thing with Amari was they got so thin at return man on both sides that he was the punt returner and kick returner. So now it's just like a 
big old question mark in the return game. Um, Malik Taylor was also a kick returner. He was their punt gunner. He's kind of like special teams ace type of guy, even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. He got placed on the injured reserve uh, last week. So now with Amari and Taylor out, things become a little bit more of a question mark. Juwan Taylor got moved up, but he's not really a special teams guy. He's like a positional wide receiver, and they kind of needed him for depth with when Cobb was out and MVS was out and Taylor was out, and they didn't use Rodgers at all last week, um, even when he was healthy and they only had five receivers active for the game. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, they just signed um, Moore uh, from the Seahawks, uh, David Moore, uh, to to the roster. They worked out the CFL like return man of the year um, yep. this week. So, yeah, I mean, there's certainly question marks uh, in the return game, and I don't really have answers. If, if gun to my head, I would expect, like, Patrick Taylor probably to be a kick returner, even though he hasn't done that recently. And then for punt returns, it's probably going to be Chandon Sullivan, their slot corner, who's probably just going to like fair catch stuff. Um, that's what I'm expecting, but we haven't gotten clear answers there. Fair enough. Um, what does MV like? How does the offense look different when MVS is there versus when it's not? Vertical stretch, baby. I mean, it's it's like the whole Ted Ginn thing. Right. Where it's like, hey, man, the guy might not be, you know, this all star wide receiver. But if you have a guy with that much speed, like it opens up so much more for guys underneath. Um, Certainly makes a difference, in my opinion, in terms of the shot plays, Um, being able to get Alan Lazard clearly on like one on one coverage pre snap and then being able to throw to him over the middle. That has benefits. Um, If Randall Cobb is back, you know, their big thing was like getting Cobb into trips and then Cobb just eats things underneath. that's a sh- certainly a benefit with the tight ends that they have running off route or running off defensive backs. So those tight ends don't have to go deep would be a huge, uh, you know, boom for their passing offense. So MVS coming back is a huge deal and should not be understated. I think is Alan Lazard an elite blocking receiver or a mid tier blocking tight end. Um, so it's funny because, so he is an elite blocking receiver because he does play more wide receiver than anything else but they also motion him down into the formation pretty much more than any any wide receiver does in the league so he's a certainly a constraint like if you go out there in 11 and they have alan lazard and they're like well you know we can basically run two tight end sets with alan lazard out there and your nickel corner is going to have to play sam linebacker so they certainly play a lot of games with him he's probably as close to like a tight end wide receiver hybrid as you actually get in the NFL from like the actual wide receiver position. Right. Because it's usually from the other direction and you're really arguing with, uh, with the arbitration committee of your franchise tag. Right. Right. All right. Uh, defensive side of the ball. Um, again, have not been paying attention to the NFL this week. Who's healthy. Uh, no outside linebackers. That that's the big issue. Um, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, and Jonathan Garvin are really their only healthy outside linebackers. Darius Smith, obviously IR'd. Whitney Merciless, IR. Chauncey Rivers, IR. Randy Ramsey, IR. Uh, Tipa Golea, who has moved up into the active roster off of the practice squad, is on the COVID reserve. And then Ladarius Hamilton, who has moved off of the 53-man roster to the practice squad, is on COVID reserve. So they are very thin. Um, Aaron Adoye, I believe is how you say his name, was picked up onto the practice squad this week um he has a basketball background and yeah, they like, might... i've never heard of this guy in my life and you yes know, I, do, I do the draft like this is 
who, okay, so 2019 Baltimore free agent. That's what he was an undrafted free agent out of Southeast Missouri, Missouri state. Yes. And I believe he played basketball at like three different colleges too. Uh, I'm incorrect. He has actually played, he played basketball at ball state, John a Logan college, Western Kentucky and Southeast Missouri state. So he played basketball at four different colleges. Did he start at ball state? I do not know. I, I I'm not a big uh, college basketball on, guy. You're, you're the you're the Packers expert. I need to know these. Guys. I know. I'm not grinding that though. I'm not grinding college basketball tape. I will say <laughs> he, he 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 played one year of football at Southeast Missouri State. He went into the uh, Champions Indoor Football League and then played in oh, your wow. AAF, uh, your your Alliance of American Football. He was. I don't remember him. I, you know me. I'm the AAF junkie. I don't remember him at all. My AAF. Your I guess he wasn't AAF. good enough to play in the XFL. He he was already on the Baltimore Ravens at that point. Oh, okay. Wow, look at him. Wow, too good for the XFL. That's it. That makes sense. He's on a roster now, so that follows. Yeah, he's 28 years old. He's played in one NFL game. Um, don't see that background often. He was signed off at the street recently. You know, they had worked him out before. Um, they had brought him onto the practice squad in October, but he only lasted for like two weeks. So hopefully he knows a little bit of the playbook because he might actually get game time this weekend. What about um, the Stanford backer, Kalambayi? Isn't he on the roster? Yeah, so he's kind of interesting because he's kind of like a hybrid guy. Um, he was obviously a pass rusher at Stanford. He basically played pass rusher his first year at Houston and then moved to inside linebacker. But truly, he's more of a special teams player than he has ever been a positional player. Um, but his last, basically since his rookie year, um, he's been playing inside linebacker. So it's kind of hard to tell, especially if you're not at practice. It's not like he, we have preseason film or anything to evaluate him from if he's going to be an outside linebacker prospect or inside linebacker prospect for this team. All right. And uh, moving outside in, we've got the defensive tackle group. Kenny Clark obviously is playing well, not well enough for my IDP league, but he is a nose tackle. I should have expected that. Dean Lowry, I think, is playing well. Is Kingsley Kiki on the COVID list or is our lads lying to me? Yes, so he was placed on the the COVID list. He also was a healthy scratch on uh, Saturday He's against a the Browns. Scratch? Yes, uh, it was some like personal matter that the team okay. isn't necessarily talking about, which is kind of what I assumed it was going to be. Um, they just announced that, or I guess Lafleur just mentioned that today. He hadn't really been asked about uh, Kingsley Kiki's status up until today, um, but the way it worked out, I was like, this guy isn't he's not a healthy scratch. There's just no way like that. Something must've happened, you know, holidays, all that stuff. Like maybe something in the family happened that really mm-hmm. touched him. It seems like that was kind of the case, but yeah, Tyler Lancaster's uh, behind him. He's been hurt um, this week. He hasn't practiced at all. And then it's like TJ Slayton, who is kind of, he's very raw um, in terms of a player. He has a ton of talent, but like conditioning is an issue. Um, Consistency is an issue. And then Jack Heflin is the last guy on their 53-man roster right now, and he's played 17 snaps. And uh, he might be their uh, D-line number four out of a three-D-line front. <laughs> so not great. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the so line that, of scrimmage is really where they're is, banged up. That, that, that starting group is is playing really well right now, though. Yes. And so it's just the depth. So when they, when they do rotations or when they get kind of uh, that backup line group in there, the Vikings might go hurry up and try to keep those guys on the field and so forth. I mean, you don't even have to keep them on the field. They keep them on the field for like 10 plays in a row. And it's it's very tough because they're trying to keep these guys' legs fresh, but they don't have depth behind them. So it ends up being this thing. I, I've talked about it on the APC pod before, and it's like a one-hand washes the other type of situation where mm-hmm. it's like, 
are are the guys tired because they can't get off the field or the, can they not get off the field because they're tired? And it's like, I don't think it matters. It's just the way that they play defense. They play so many stagnant um, coverages and they blitz so little from depth. Like they'll, they'll have five guys on the defensive lineman and send those or on the uh, on the offensive line and they'll send those five. But it's not like they're sending uh, Devondre Campbell or Chris Barnes or Oren Burks on blitzes very often. And when you're getting pretty predictable in terms of your games and stunts, like you can get four yard carries, you know, over and over and over again, like the Cleveland Brown showed. And then you're on the field for 15 plays and then your backups are in, you know, midway through the next drive um, because your guys are tired. It's like that's a problem. And when you don't have depth, like maybe you should start sending more blitzes. So uh, th- that inside linebacker group, that one also, like Ornan Burks is on the COVID-19 list. Yep. Um, and he was a guy that last time we had talked, I was like, I don't know that he knows how to play football. And you kind of pushed back that he kind of figured a lot of things out. Um, I don't know if he figured out enough things to kind of be part of the regular starting rotation or anything like that. But, you know, Chris Barnes, Devondra Campbell, um, they're playing better than I think we typically expect over the last decade of inside linebacker play from the Packers than we usually get, right? Yeah, the the big thing is Barnes is just kind of a guy. Um, Burks has been worked that, out that's of the an lineup. Improvement, again, over the no, last I, decade. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Look, I'm, I'm not arguing that. It's just you could still kind of go at Barnes. Um, Burks, yeah, him him being on the reserve or the COVID reserve list is a big deal. I, I was hoping that he would get more involved. Um, he hasn't been. I think they're trying to keep him healthy for like special teams just because he plays so many reps. And Ty Summers, uh, who, you know, him and Burks were number one and number two in special teams reps uh, going into this last week. And then Summers obviously got put on the injured reserve. So I, I think it's a thing where they're like, you're going to be running so much on special teams. We don't really want to run like packages for you on defense, but you got to do something. And now, now their backup is Isaiah McDuffie. He's the third inside linebacker on the team right now, as it stands today, if Burks doesn't test back in and uh, is cleared to play for Sunday night football, um, McDuffie hasn't played a single snap of defense this season. So, Red flags, red flags on oh this boy. defensive front across oh the board. Boy. All right, well, let's talk about the secondary. It seems like there's better news for uh, the Packers side of things. Kevin King comes back from COVID-19 reserve, which uh, to, it doesn't sound like amazing news, but uh, he's the dime guy because Rasul Douglas has asserted himself as uh, as an important player for the Packers' big turnover machine. Um, plus, Douglas is playing more than Stokes now, right? I mean, they're both full-time now. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're um, they're they're both full time. They cut they split up reps, uh, left and right cornerback. So that that's kind of how that ends up working. Kevin King. So Kevin King had basically been completely phased out of the defensive packages up until the Baltimore game, and then the Baltimore game because Mark Andrews is such a big body. Um, they really started using Kevin King as their dime back, and they usually used uh, Henry Black as their dime back. So when they go into Six defensive back looks. The Packers ended up using three safeties, and Henry Black was that third safety. Um, they made that switch against Baltimore. Kevin King ended up going out there, so they ended up using four corners with Shannon Sullivan as the other slot guy. Um, and then Kevin King, obviously, right before the game against Cleveland, was put into COVID protocol, so he didn't end up playing. So it'll be an interesting um, test to see, like, is that their kind of plan moving forward to use Kevin King as that dime guy, especially if uh, Henry Black, you know, who is on the COVID reserve now, isn't able to play. So, 
So, so are we going to reasonably expect a significant amount of time? I mean, the Vikings, obviously, they already play pretty heavy. They don't do a lot of 11 personnel. They're doing it a little bit more this year. But for them, that's still among the lowest in the league. Um, and the, you know, Adam Thielen, who I think a lot of people expected to play this week, including me, um, ended up actually doing the opposite, going to injured reserve. Um, so it's Justin Jefferson, KJ Osborne, and then maybe DD Westbrook and the track guy from Penn State, Dan Chisna, uh, or Chisena, I guess is, we, we've been told is how it's pronounced. Um, the, the big thing with the Packers, if you're in, if you're going to be in third and six plus, they'll play you in dime. That's kind of how they've been operating. So, so, and and that's why you brought up the Mark Andrews example because they'll play dime against packages that expect tight ends to be there in the passing game, and they think that they'll win those matchups. Yeah, and it's a lot of one-on-one coverage. Frankly, I mean, that that's and and it's been an issue. You said they don't blitz from deep, and then there's a lot of one-on-one coverage. Is that? Are They're, the safeties dude, they'll play cover high? two. They'll, they'll oh, play two okay. man. They'll play two okay. man. Like they'll just lock it up and just play two man and then run some sort of four man game up front. Yeah, that that's what they do. Does that work? Uh, it works sometimes, man. It, wor- <laughs> it, wor- it works sometimes. It works when uh, teams throw to not Henry Black. Usually is how that ends up working. Well, not um, not Henry, an Henry issue. Black's not an issue, an issue this week when teams throw to now Kevin King instead of uh, Henry in the Black. slot without sideline help. Without sideline help. Yep. Because they'll use him inside. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. When you take a look at this matchup, when you see Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and KJ Osborne, and you take a look at the dime defense that the Packers have, which I think individually has a lot of talent, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage. Um, what I mean, how do you feel about third and six when you see that? I worry about Justin Jefferson. Um Outside of that, third and six doesn't really worry me. What worries me is them just being able to hand off to Dalvin Cook and just wearing out the defense and then backup pass rushers are out there and you're like, oh man, it's first and 10, you know, in shot range for Kirk Cousins to throw a bomb to Justin Jefferson and Tipa Galea and, you know, Jonathan Garvin are out there at outside linebacker. That That's what really worries me about this It's game. Actually, this is a good question because one of the reasons the Packers were so effective at shutting down Kirk Cousins last year on the boots is that you ended up having a lot of agility from whoever was the end man of line of scrimmage on the weak side to attack the quarterback. They could turn around and spin and attack the quarterback without Zadarius Smith, without Preston Smith. Um, I, I guess there is Rashawn Gary, but he's injured this week. No, he's, a, he's oh, able he's to back. play. He's back. Okay. Yep. So you've got Rashawn Gary. Is the athleticism there to be able to play both the run and the pass on a boot play action that the Vikings have been using a lot less, used a little bit more against the Rams, but might have available to them this week? Yeah, I think so because Gary, Gary's usually get the guy over the right tackle. Um, his big thing is he is great as long as he doesn't have to keep contain for like a mobile quarterback in the pocket. Um, I don't expect Kirk Cousins to break the pocket very often outside of like boots and often on boots. He, they just have him just like rush the quarterback, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would expect like those, I don't know what you want to call them, those slide play action stuff where it's like the tight end goes across the formation and if the yeah, pass rusher is in the quarterback's face, they, they've he just been dumps doing that it off to him. Conklin. Yeah, yeah I, I expect a lot of those to be completed this week and hopefully the Packers can rally up and tackle uh, the tight end across the formation that way. All right. Um, before we talk about uh, your favorite topic, Packers special teams, 
Um, we do have a question from a listener, Christopher Wiley. What is the dumbest thing Aaron Rodgers will say in the off season? <clears throat> um, so NASA just hired like 20 theologists, right? Oh God. Oh, this is good. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So with, with the, for people who aren't paying attention, for the explicit purpose of trying to figure out how humanity might react to first contact, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're basically, they basically, NASA gave a bunch of money to theologists, uh, like in t- 2005 or something like that. And now they're asking them and they're like, Hey, we need some info about what happens if we tell people <laughs> the, the aliens the are thing here. we paid you for. Have you, have you worked on it? Turn yeah, in your uh, paper. Update ETA. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, look, if the aliens arrive, Aaron Rodgers might say something that will like ruin humanity. I would say that um, rules. Uh, so, okay. Because the question that was asked also includes an example. The government is spreading COVID using contrails. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is explicitly a chemtrails guy. That is what Seneca Wallace said, I believe. Um, Okay, so Rodgers hasn't said anything publicly about chemtrails. No, but he has talked about how he's seen UFOs before. Can you get Nagler to ask Rodgers about chemtrails? I I don't know if Nagler is going to do that for me, frankly. Um, I could ask. Uh, I can't, I can't promise a result though. Okay. So, okay. So, so Rogers says he's seen a UFO and we've got this, this business about NASA hiring theologians. Yes. Do do you think Rogers thinks that NASA checking in on the assignments they gave to the theologians is evidence kind of like, uh, you've probably actually never read Ender's Game, have you? I actually did in high school. Oh, okay. Word. They, they were all alive in a real thing. It wasn't a simulation. <laughs> That's yeah. Ender's Game. Yeah, spoilers for Ender's Game. Um, not that that sentence actually gives you a lot to go on, but I'm going to spoil it more. Um, so in, at, the, at the end of the book, they kind of speed up the process, and that gives a clue to some of the kids that this isn't necessarily a simulation, that this is real. Um do you think NASA is doing the same thing, kind of pushing the theolo- – or do you think Rogers thinks NASA is doing the same thing, pushing the theologians to come up with an answer because we're going to need that answer sooner rather than later? I don't know because uh, on one hand, you could look at it like that. And then on the other hand, I could see Rogers' brain being like, see, the government's lying to you again. Big alien is uh, in Big the pockets alien. of the politicians. Big alien. You got to watch over the alien industrial complex. <laughs> All right. So, so, so you think that the dumbest thing Aaron Rodgers will say this off season might concern aliens. Yes. Does Rodgers believe, so. believe in anthropogenic climate change? I don't know what that first word means. Man-made so. global warming. That humans are causing global warming. I think so, but it, I, I don't think it's come up. And again, you got to push Nagler to ask these questions. <laughs> They're about to go on a Super Bowl run. They could clinch the NFC this weekend if if they beat Minnesota and, and the Cowboys lose. Right. And if the Super Bowl doesn't happen because of climate change, that sounds pretty important. They, they, these are McAfee questions. You're going to the wrong source here. That's true. Yeah, we should get McAfee to ask you right. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get him when his hair is down, not when he's you know on Zoom meetings in uh, in Green Bay. Does Rogers use? Uh, a hyperbaric chamber? No. I think he's too granola for that. 
Yeah, but he, he's like ne- recently he's given off a lot of crypto bro. But no, you're right. It's a wellness thing. That's like a big part of of what he, he, he is going to what's her name for what Tom Brady does for like health stuff. Rogers is going to be the wellness guy post career. Like oh. that is that is the grift. So he I'm like he 100 percent does yoga. Does he? Um, does he? OK, so have you seen that post of God? I don't this might ruin the iTunes explicit rating of the person sunning their perineum. Uh, his alleged girlfriend. No, 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 not his. Well, she might, I don't know, but just in general, there is, it went viral a couple of years ago of someone buck naked showcasing, you know, spread Eagle showcasing an area where the sun typically doesn't shine to the sun in order to uh, improve their energies. His, his alleged girlfriend does that. Well, oh, really? Shailene does that. Yes. Okay. So, so, so then he, I had to look up perineum real quick to, well, yeah, well, I'm trying it. to get around the iTunes explicit <laughs> then. Um, what, so, so good chance that he does. It, like what's more important than energy? Look, man, when in Rome, right. Do you, does that give him some immunity? Do you think? Uh, I to what? I mean, he got COVID. Like generally, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's just like microdosing sun cancer, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. But like, it's it's like good though. Okay. Sure. All right. All right. Special teams. Why are the Packers special teams so awful? And are they going to get worse because of all the things you just described about the returner, the lack of? Um, some of their special teams aces being available and et cetera. I think there's a chance they get worse. Um, we haven't even touched the big one. Corey Bohorkas is on the, yeah, yeah, yeah he's on right. the COVID reserve list and they don't yeah, have an extra punter. So they said that they have a contingency plan. And then LaFleur Ed said, Hunter? I won't talk about it. Yeah, I guess. Um, Has Mason, Mason Crosby punted? So he punted one time in this past preseason. It was his first punt at the NFL level. He punted one time his senior year at Colorado in 2006 um, JJ Molson, their backup uh, kicker on their practice squad, has not punted. They also used Bohorquez as the holder. And right, today, so that was my next question is holding. Yes, today Maurice Drayton said that they're still having like open tryouts at holder right open now. Open tryouts it is thir- at it is Thursday. Yes, yes, it could be bad. It could be very bad on special teams this weekend. I will not lie to you. Well, okay, but alternatively, this increases the probability that they'll like desperation fakes, right? Yeah, or just like straight up like going for it, I would think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it's it bad. I mean, they basically they're out all the returners. They started the year with Kylan Hill as their return man on kick returns. He's out. But he's on Then IR. they used Malik Taylor. He's out. He's on, he's IR. on IR. Then they used Amari Rogers. He's out because he's bad on reserve. And, and and IR. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually better as a kick returner than as a punt returner. But yeah. And then he he's also the punt returner. So now you have to find out a new punt returner who's probably going to be Shannon Sullivan, who's probably just going to go back there and, and fair catch punts, which is totally fine at this point in the season. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have big question marks at several like key special teamers who like don't even play with the ball in their hands and then both return spots and punter and holder. So and we still have two days of testing to go. So not great. Um, what was the okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think actually you were the one I talked to about how important holding was, and you were like, "I've got no idea what you're talking about." But 
when Bohorquez was released from the Bills, one of the issues yep. that, despite him being a good punter, was that he was not a very good holder. Uh, and uh, I saw a podcast, I think, with the Cover One guys who were pretty great when covering Buffalo sports. You should check them out. Um, that they had an interview, I think it was Jay Feely, about how important holding is, stuff like angles. It's not just like getting the laces lined up. It's getting the timing right. It's getting the angle of the ball right. It's making sure that you understand kind of the alignment that the kicker is going for in every situation. There's like a ton of stuff that goes into holding. And so they don't have a holder. They they say they've got a, because they, they, it's open tryouts. They say they've got a backup plan at punter and will and refuse to divulge what that plan is, but the uh, options that are available to us on the roster don't give us a ton. Of, well, how did, how did Mason Crosby do on those two punts you mentioned? <laughs> I can't speak to the one in 2006. Um, the, the, the and one again, I thought you were going to dig deep. I don't, what is this? <laughs> I don't, why, why I don't even off? know if the coach's film is available. I, I don't know if it still exists. Special teams from Colorado in 2006. There's like one guy who has that on his hard drive, but the, <laughs> the other one was fine. Um, the other option that the, it, it was because J.K. Scott had a like a cramp. Yeah. He had a cramp. So they were just like, Mason, go do it. So it's not like something that he's they, they plan for him to do regularly. It was just right. J.K. Scott got cramped up and someone had to punt in a preseason game. So Mason went, went out there. Has Aaron Rodgers ever pooch punted? Maybe they'll go for it on fourth down and actually they won't. He'll pooch punt. Please do not use the MVP quarterback. Who has a fractured pinky toe? Wait, but as wait, a it's, it's his right foot that would be. I, well, that's I fine. Guess... Plant foot. Like I don't want anyone rushing his legs. Please <laughs> do not do that. Because he's not going to be. He's not going to be eight plus yards back where he gets those punt protections. You know, by yeah. rule, like you can run into him if, if he's just doing it from the shotgun. So, please, for the love of God, Lafleur, do not let him <laughs> pooch punt. Do not let Arif put this negative energy into the universe. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers pooch punt. Let's go. No. Do you think he'll do it on third down? Please, please stop. He's the MVP <laughs> of the league. Go, go for it. Don't punt. Don't okay, punt. Like third and fourteen, man. I don't know. I've that's tough to let Randall from. Cobb punt. He seems like he's a great athlete. He seems like he could do anything. Let anyone other than Rogers punt. Actually, honestly, if I was going to pick somebody on the roster who might be able to punt, Randall Cobb is like maybe in my top five on that list. Randall, Randall is top tier of like. I bet he could do that. You just yeah, he could do anything. Could, like I bet could, like corn, I we need a corner. Short I bet stop, he could man. do that. Yeah, no, for sure. He, he, there's probably a couple of sports that he can play, much less a bunch of positions within football. That follows. He he seems like he would play shortstop. Is it because he's short, or you just do word association there? And and the I guess I'm he the, played quarterback I'm the last too. person to make short jokes. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. And it, it just seems like uh, he'd be a pretty reasonable defensive player in baseball. Uh, he produces enough offensive output, but I, I, I bet, I bet, I bet the Yankees would draft him. Hopefully not this year. We we need him to come up big for some third downs in the playoffs. Well, that's a concern with uh, Russell Wilson, right? The Yankees still hold his rights. Russell Wilson, I don't again, you're not following the NFL, but Russell Wilson today was like, I hope this isn't my uh, last game in the NFL. Actually, I did see that. Um, no. I also saw someone share a November 17th uh, video of Jay Glazer saying that the quarterbacks that are going to be available uh, include, of course, Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Uh, Russell Wilson, uh, I mentioned like one other name as, as a guy who's available. Um, but you know, the draft is not that great. 
I guess I guess the draft is so bad that people are asking Hendon Hooker to declare after today. I can't remember who that is. The Virginia Tech guy? Former Virginia Tech guy. He transferred somewhere. Oh, no. I remember him. He should get his education. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched him when I was watching. He's at Tennessee. Oh, He's at goodness. Tennessee. Uh, bowl MVP, maybe, of the Tennessee game? I don't know, man. <laughs> he he should get his education, is my thought. <laughs> Just So you haven't seen any of him this year, then? No, because they had that guy from like Auburn, right? The like Cam Newtony type of guy who was getting snaps for a while, or the, the guy from Michigan. Thing? Auburn? <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it was the Michigan guy who's built like Cam, so I ended up making him from Auburn. But it is it is the Michigan guy. Um, so Hooker Hooker wasn't even like full time starter this year. That's buddy, buddy, buddy. <laughs> I don't get it. All right, he still uh, has a couple days to. Uh, he has like two weeks to be able to say like. JK, I'm going back he to said he, he said he's returning, but a lot of people were like, man, oh, okay. the, these quarterbacks are bad, and I just saw a good game from a quarterback. I did see some wide receiver who put up like 400 yards, put up like one of those, like, I'm coming back graphics. And I was like, I don't know, guys. I feel like we uh, jumped the track here. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, uh, the Gophers wide receivers are all coming back, and it's like, I don't know. For so is that running back who got hurt, right? Well, yeah, but that's fair. But all the Gophers running backs like get hurt and then they're too injured to play in the NFL anyway, so I might as well finish out their college career. Like, Get your education. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. So the wide receivers that bother me, it's like, man, you should stop going back to the Gophers. Are you, for this? <laughs> they the run that RPO year, offense, right? man. They run <laughs> that RPO offense. Ah, it's so ugly. No one, no one else can run slants like these guys, man. I, I, that's true. The, these are very good receivers in a very aesthetically ugly offense. All Fleck, right. yeah, I mean, you're talking to Packers fans too right now, so they have <laughs> many thoughts about how ugly this RPO offense is that has seemingly like evolved into not only just this RPO offense, but also like a six wide re- or a six offensive line offense oh, yeah, that involves the Wildcat. Sure. So yeah, it's just 100%. like the ex- two extremes of like we're gross and not really trying to compete in this way. Like we're just spamming meta plays. Yeah. Gophers played spoiler for a lot of teams this year. I don't know. Very weird team. I don't expect them to be good next year, but I guess they were good ish this year. Who cares? Uh, okay. So if the Packers lose, it's because of special teams, special teams or their depth at the line of scrimmage. I would say um, okay. th- those are the two big things. Um, the offense I think is pretty good. I mean, outside of like, an act of God Literally on the offensive the only line. Person you care about is Royce Newman being bad. Yeah, I, that that's pretty much it. Um, frankly, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, if you can get away with a couple of drives, you know, when the Packers have the ball on offense and you can just wear down this defensive front and special teams does something wacky like they did against Chicago. Yeah, you, you're in a good spot. Outside of that, I think Green Bay is in a good position to win. This okay, ball that game. Chicago game was like a uniquely awful special teams performance. They legit like if you look at like the DVOA, they're like. Yeah, the Packers won by like 12, and they should have won by 30 if not for the special teams, like if they had average special teams. And you look at the game, and you're like, that's accurate. Like they did give up three scores on special teams that they should have had. Yeah. So so that was such a uniquely bad performance that even without a punter or a holder or a returner, I can't imagine we'll see a repeat of that. I'm knocking on wood right now. Do you you have wood? That sounded like plastic. 
It's my wood desk. How dare you? Yeah, well, you should check into the authenticity of that desk. Do you have a score prediction? Um, let's do uh, let's do uh, thirty twenty four, Green Bay Packers. Yeah, right. I can't complain about that. T- tell me, tell me how you're feeling about this Vikings team. Outside of you know, we touched Thielen is on IR. Dalvin Cook is coming back. Is there anything else? Well, are we, we going to do the know? second half of the pod? This is the second half of the pod. Okay. <laughs> We're here. We have arrived. Okay. Uh, yeah, second half. Uh, um, I don't know, man. This Vikings team is like... So I just wrote this like 5,000 word piece on Kirk Cousins and why... How we got to where he is and why that means he's not going to be able to go to where he wants to go. Because um, he's a nerd, right? Uh, and... Uh, and and the thing about him is that he over prepares. He's super diligent. He spends all his time memorizing as much as he can about offenses, defenses, tendencies, and stuff like that. And he probably would never have been able to become a starter at Michigan State and set a bunch of Michigan State passing records if he wasn't such a dork about it, right? Um, but that same tendency is the very reason that he can't be an elite quarterback because he he does he cannot play by feel. And in order to kind of win in situational football, you need to be able to play by feel. I mean, you you watch Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, right? You know that that's kind of what uncaps quarterback potential is the ability to kind of feel out what the geometry of the football field is telling you, right? Yeah, and the big thing with Kirk is like sometimes, frankly, his brain is telling him the wrong thing, and then he just makes an incredibly dumb pass. Like you'll see him throw into double coverage on a slant flat, and you're like, what? You're like a high school kid would know not to do that, and it just – it looks weird because like 80% of the time it looks like he's operating at the line like Tom Brady and then 20% yes. of the time it's just spinning out of control. Yeah, so I looked at uh, his play in standard down, so first and second down, um, before the final 10 minutes of the game. So first 15 minutes, first and second down over the past seven years. Um, he's like the sixth best quarterback in that situation, like in terms of EPA, right? And obviously he's had a really good supporting cast over the years with the Vikings and with Washington. Um, But like in just in terms of statistical production, he's like the sixth best quarterback. Then you take a look at third and long, or you take a look at the final 10 minutes of the game when trailing or the final 10 minutes of the game when leading. And he is like 25th out of, out of 40, right? It's not out of 32, but like 25th, like below average. And I, I, that that to me tells me kind of basically everything about Cousins because it's everything that you feel about Cousins, right? It's everything that you think about him because you 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 at the end of the season you take a look at his year end statistics, you see that he's playing really well and that these statistics typically track with success. The top quarterbacks typically are leaders in adjusting the yards per attempt and EPA and stuff like that. Like Aaron Rodgers is usually top three, Tom Brady is usually top three, and then whatever quarterback we're enamored with is top three, whether that's Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or whoever, right? And so he's in that conversation very often. And that's because of the 80% of the time that you mentioned. And it's this other 20% of the time that I think appears a little bit more often in divisional games. So it's kind of surprising how well the Vikings have done, relatively speaking, against the Packers. That always makes me worry going into games that there's not going to be a solution to a problem that the other team is going to present. So now that you don't have, and I think this is why uh, Kirk Cousins is, is very reliant on a supporting cast because if your approach to quarterbacking is textbook, if you throw the read based off of what the play tells you, what the defense gives you and what route beats what coverage, 
and don't pay attention to matchups, you need your guys to always be winning and not because you, you're not the kind of quarterback that finds a backup corner, go into the game and pick on him, right? Like Aaron Rodgers is brutal about it, right? If when Chris Boyd comes in, that dude is seeing 10 targets until he's run off the field, right? But for, for Cousins, he still takes a look to see if it's too high or single high. Then he takes a look to see the cornerback leverage. Then he takes a look at kind of all the other tells he needs to try and figure out if it's man or zone or kind of what coverage that they're seeing, whether or not there's a shell that prevents deep passes. And then he throws that. And so you need Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson to play well if you're not going to care about what matchup you're facing, right? And so that's why he's his supporting cast guy is because he doesn't care about matchups because that's not how he's wired. Uh, and so without Adam Thielen in this game, You've got KJ Osborne, who I think is a really good receiver, right? Like, I think he's a wide receiver too somewhere. Um, I like, I just, I don't like, I don't, uh, when you don't have all the pieces functioning, I don't see what the offensive solution is for Cousins. Never forget, this is the guy who kneeled instead of spiked at the goal line with clock expiring, uh, you know, at the end of the first half. Right. Right. Well, because he's memorized the textbook. He's he's not a natural. Yeah. It's like, it's a robot. It's like yeah. a, a script. It's code. Kirk Cousins yeah, and is if, code. And if the code isn't there, like if it's it's if it's the end of the game and you're in the two minute drill, and the defense gives you the middle of the field because of course they do because there's 40 seconds left and you don't have timeouts, he just takes it because that's what's open, right? And it's the same thing as kneeling instead of spiking, right? It's the same thing as uh, as throwing away on fourth down. It's just this is kind of what the script of this this offense versus this defense tells me. And I have completely eliminated an understanding of the situation. Like he's bad on third and long, right? Because that requires that you get to a certain point on the field. Anything beyond below that is a failure, right? And there's some quarterbacks that are like really surprisingly good on third and like Teddy Bridgewater, for example, is not a very good quarterback, but on third and long, he becomes like really good. Like he is the opposite of cousins in that, you know, he's a smart quarterback and all that. But like he's just not good for the 80% of a football game. But as soon as a situational kind of awareness requirement appears, he does like a weirdly good job, right? Um, and so he's kind of the opposite of Cousins. Neither are helping you win games, right, at this point. But yeah, it's certainly. like it's it's like nuts going from Teddy to Kirk to see – and obviously with Case Keenum in the middle, right, to see – what happens when somebody who only plays based off of kind of the situational awareness of knowing what you need in third down versus a guy who only plays based off of kind of what's open to him and not taking these chances, which is why Cousins was entering that Rams game with only two picks, right? Because he doesn't throw dangerous passes, which is kind of the opposite of the discussion about Aaron Rodgers not throwing picks because he does take the risks. They just work out for him because he's good. Yeah, and he has wide receivers who can win at the catch point, right? I mean, Devontae Adams is coming down with that ball at the very least. That that ball isn't cleanly going into the defensive back's hands. Um, defensively for the Vikings, where where are you guys at? So I saw Harrison Smith didn't practice on Wednesday. He's practicing now. What what does this defense look like right now? Um, yeah. So the issue, of course, is I think the front more than anything else. Like I expect Harrison Smith to play. I expect Xavier Woods to play. Um, you know, Cameron Dancer uh, and and Patrick Peterson, like that's not the most stellar kind of coverage unit. But the the issue really is up front, right? Because without Daniel Hunter, without Everson Griffin, um, you don't really have any bona fide pass rushers. Because the whole idea was to get pressure off the edge and stop the run up the middle with the two nose tackles they have with Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce, who are both actually playing really well. Like Michael Pierce played out of his mind against uh, the Rams. Dalvin Tomlinson had a really good game. 
they're both playing really well. But for them, that means a different thing than if like uh, Linval Joseph is playing well because he's a, a, a pass rushing nose tackle, right? Or right. if uh, or if like an actual three technique is playing. If Sheldon Richardson's playing really well, you're getting pressure. Um, but they're playing defensive tackle. Sheldon Richardson has been moved to defensive end because they're so thin at defensive end that they moved Sheldon Richardson out. So now you've got a 300-pound defensive end playing on the edge, not playing four, right? Like it's not like a... Michael Bennett's the wrong one. Who am I thinking of uh, in that Seattle group? It was like Red Bryant or something. No, no, no. I was I was oh. thinking like the guy who played the two gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red Bryant. Yeah, Red Bryant. Like way back like 2013, right? It's not like that. They're playing him on the edge, like an edge rusher, because they're run out of those guys. Um, they've got like DJ Wanham, who's just not good. Like he's got like sack numbers and pressure numbers, but they're all kind of fake. Um, like unblock sacks or, you know, the defense, like the left tackle just kind of like fell over and like, well, I'm glad he got the sack in that situation, but I don't know how well that projects going forward. So there's not really much of a pass rush. Um, and, uh, and like, you know, their, their backups are like Armand Watts and James Lynch are like really good backups, but like, again, they're not pass rushers. So that's the concern, right? Is that like, you know, Patrick Peterson is playing really well this year. Um, but he's just, if he's not going to get help up front without any pressure, he's not going to be able to hold on against Devontae Adams or MBS or whoever. There's no answer for speed on, uh, in the defensive back group anyway. Um, especially now that, you know, they've lost Bashad Breland, who is not a fast corner, but might've been their fastest corner. Um, depending on how much food Cameron Dancer ate that week. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Do, do you have a, do you have a score prediction for this game? Uh, yeah, Zimmer is weirdly good against Rogers. So, um, I still think the Packers win, but it's probably something like 27, 17. I think it's a lower score. Uh, I don't think it's that close. The special team stuff, you know, I don't know. Cause the Vikings are actually playing really well in special teams. And the Packers aren't, and that like changes things, but that's like so random. It's so difficult for me to like incorporate. That's fair. All right. That that's pretty much the only questions that I had. I feel like our, our first, uh, run through with the Vikings and then, you know, obviously consuming the Vikings for what going on to 17 weeks now is, is pretty good. Yeah, that's fair. All right. All right. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. All right, well, uh, thanks so much for coming on justice. Uh, I hope you don't screw anything up for us when we get out of recording this. Uh, if we do, of course, I'll blame you. Where can people find you? Acme packing company. Um, read everything, consume everything that we have. Uh, we have a podcast network. We have a website. Click every link that you see that we send out from Acme Packing Company. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Um, inside of that, that's that's pretty much it. Cool. Sweet. Thanks so much, man.